you know, I don't want you to get false impressions about what's going to happen to you in this world. So you need to know that you're not pretty, but your sister, she's beautiful. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Carrington Smith. For much of Carrington's life, it was a struggle just to survive, to hold it together, to stay above water. Her childhood was filled with family rejection, malignant narcissism, and religious mind games. She survived sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, the death of loved ones, and the loss of close friends. Determined not to let these events define her, she began her journey to self-acceptance. She learned the power of perspective and began to thrive when she changed her mindset. Today we're talking about the power of perspective, and that's so important. Two people can have the exact same experience, but their perspective can drastically shift the meaning they give that experience. So join me as I have a conversation with Carrington Smith and get ready to shift your perspective around something that may need a different viewpoint. Here we go. Okay, everybody, I'm with Carrington Smith. First of all, is that the coolest name ever or what? <laughs> and we, we are going to be talking about the power of perspective, how to find the blessing in betrayal. And before we even get started, I know, I know a lot of you, my listeners and viewers, they're like blessing in betrayal, really? Yes, you're going to see exactly what we're talking about. So welcome, Carrington. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we dive into the blessing, uh, let's talk a little bit about why we're even talking here. Is there, a, you know, can you share a bit of your story around betrayal? Sure. Wow. That's <laughs> betrayal on, on a lot of levels, starting with my father. Um, you know, as a child, I grew up with a father that was a malignant narcissist. And so the only thing that mattered to him was, was him and his, he viewed his children and his family as an extension of himself. And that meant that we were basically, um, our needs and wants were suppressed and we were basically disposable if we weren't, um, in alignment with what he was thinking or feeling at any given moment. So, um, the betrayal really began as a child, just asking him certain questions like daddy, am I pretty? And he said, no. says that to a child, especially a father to a daughter. I mean, right? And, and, that, oh, and besides, first of all, for, for my listeners, you're magnificent. So that's like crazy in itself, the reality of it. But having said that, even so, for a dad to say that, what, I mean, was there anything behind that or did he well, gets, follow up gets, with anything else? It gets worse, actually. Yeah. He's so I, what I, I think I was like eight years old and I asked him, you know, as a little girl does to their dad, daddy, am I pretty? Although most little girls hear it all the time, but they are beautiful. But so I'm asking. And he said, no, he looked me over and said, you know, I don't want you to get false impressions about what's going to happen to you in this world. So you need to know that you're not pretty, but your sister, she's beautiful. Now I found out about 30 years later or 40 years later, talking to my sister that he said the same thing to her, but in the reverse, it was a manipulation. He did that. It's one of the mechanisms that malignant narcissists use, and that is to divide and conquer, you know, cause division in the family so that he can manipulate you. 
So I grew up believing that I was ugly. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the good, again, here's the good news that the blessing in that betrayal, my self-esteem is based on my intelligence. It's based on my intuition. It's not based on how I look. Now I've, de- I've definitely had this like pattern of like beauty is very important to me because of that, but my self-esteem is based on other things. So that is the gift that came out of that. But as, so here you are, you're being told something you believe. We always believe these big people. We assume they know better than us. Right. So what meaning did you, did you make of it? And what did it lead to at the time? I mean, now clearly you moved through it, but back then. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I genuinely believed I was not pretty. I was a complete wallflower. I threw myself into my studies. I found that that was the one way I could get approval from my father. So I got straight A's, uh, but there were other things that happened uh, in my life where that was sort of reaffirmed, just some, you know, bullying in school and things like that. So I really came to believe that I wasn't pretty. Um, and it didn't, it, it, what happened is I transferred schools in high school and the quarterback on the football team asked me out. And I asked my girlfriends, like, I'd never been on a date. And I said, should I go out with this guy? And they're like, are you crazy? He's the quarterback on the football team. But I just had no sense of my value or how or or anything. And so I just, you know, so it it has been a long journey to self-confidence. But I, you know, like many people, like you take what your parents tell you and that's where you build your self-esteem. So, yeah, it's been a long road. So, okay, and it's really common to just, that's where that's where these beliefs get formed. And then we just take them into our adult life. We don't question them. We, we sort of work with them and never bother to question them and then live an entire life based on what someone said or did decades yeah. ago. And yeah. they were coming from a limited perspective. And, and then we form, you know, everything we're doing around that. So in order to change your perspective and change your life, you clearly had to do different things. What were some things that you did or when did you start questioning it? Well, as I started getting attention from men, um, I started to realize that maybe, maybe actually it might be cute. And um, it, that's, that sort of correlated also with, you know, leaving home. So getting to college and things like that, I started to go, wait a second, you know? Um, although I never really, when people would say something like, oh, you're beautiful, you're pretty, it never really registered. Um, but I think just honestly, I did years of therapy <laughs> and, um, and you know, just really learned to question the things that my father had told me. And through that therapy, I learned who he was and what his motivations were, and that a lot of what he had told me was false. Yeah. And, and it's when we start questioning, that's when we, you know, invite new ideas. And then yeah. that's when we're willing to, to try them out. So then now here's the thing, you had all this conditioning for, you know, all that time. So things must have come up, like usually something comes up and it kind of triggers like that old response. Was there something you did or said to yourself to kind of counteract the habitual way you were thinking about something? Well, um, as far as the way I was thinking about something, um, I mean, I think that one of the things I really focus on is mindset and making sure that the positive, uh, that the messages I'm telling myself, uh, I mean, thoughts precede actions and actions precede, you know, (laughs) what happens in your life. And so it's really important to control your thoughts. And so I just really try to plant um, 
you know, positive thoughts and, and look at other reference points. I mean, obviously, you know, beauty is only part of the <laughs> part of the equation. There's so much more, but um, learning to look to other people or uh, and really learn about my mindset. That was really critical. And, you know, we know mindset is an, it's an inside job. And when we're only looking externally for that internal validation, that is like a recipe for heartache right there. Was Did you notice any sort of shift between, okay, yes, I'm getting that external validation and it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of having me question my, my old beliefs, but I'm, I'm interested and, and I know our audience is interested in the internal work, like the internal work where if you have zero validation at all, that internal belief is so strong that that's what creates, because, you know, we know it's the internal creates the external. So what kind of mindset work did you do? What Were there certain practices that you really, you know, realized, wow, that really moved the needle and something else kind of wasn't as effective? Well, some of this stuff is so um, deep seated that, I mean, in addition to therapy, I actually did something called healing hypnosis. Mm -hmm. which I have to tell you um, has been absolutely phenomenal as far as healing for me. And that is going back to specific moments. And this is, was one of them and traveling back to them. And as, you know, as I am today, having a conversation with that little girl and saying, you know, yes, you're beautiful. And what he said to you is false and, and healing that memory has been pivotal as far as, you know, my growth and healing. Um, that was one of the, you know, and then of course, just, I, I literally spent a year on the couch uh, doing psychoanalysis because there was, you know, this was just one comment he made. You can only imagine all the other comments he made that were negative, right. About every range of just sort of my personality, my appearance, um, my value. And so it took, um, and it was an investment on my part. I mean, my therapist said, look, I'm really going to encourage you to do this. It's going to be the cost of a used car, but it's going to be the best investment you've ever made in your life. And I have to agree with her. I, I went five days a week for a year, every day, an hour on the couch, literally on the, <laughs> the couch, um, working through this. And it was the best investment. It absolutely transformed me. And then, I, you know, I just didn't end there. I kept going to therapy and then, you know, did some of this healing hypnosis and just regularly seeking out ways to heal. Um, and for part of that, it really was, you know, you get into this, when you have that dynamic at home, you get into this self, look, always looking for external approval. And for me, I had to learn, um, I had to let go of some friendships and things that were very harmful to me and had to recognize that I had to go back to that little girl before any of this was told to me and just revisit who that was and be that person, even if my friends didn't recognize me anymore and wanted me to like go back and be someone else. And they were shaming me and saying, no, we don't like who you are. I really had to go back and be who I really am and not apologize for my uniqueness. And for me, my big journey has been stepping into the light and owning my power and saying, look, this is who I am. And, you know, love me for who I am, as opposed to being put in a box and being told that I had to conform to all these norms. And I think everyone's greatness is in their uniqueness. Yeah. You know, two, two things you said that I, I really want to, um, to build on here. You know, one is you really rewrote the script and that's what we're able to do, you know, and it's going back and taking a look at 
that comment, that statement, and then the meaning we made from it. And we can make any meaning we want. So it sounds like you went back to each of those comments that really uh, affected you and rewrote the meaning uh, that you, that you took from it. You know, it's like, think of the example of two people are in traffic. It's the same thing for both of them, but one is banging on the steering wheel and drowning in a sea of self-induced hormones. The other one's like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity to catch up on, you know, calls and, and just exactly. wind down. Same thing, but they've, but what the meaning they've made of it is very different. So um, yeah, that's rewriting the script. Great work on that. And the other thing is, it is so common to outgrow friendships when you do this type of deep work, because you're right. Everybody knew you, liked you, knew where they stood and you stood before you changed. Yes. And then all of a sudden, you know, you do this work, you see things a little more clearly, you see them more clearly too, yeah. and they don't like it. They're yeah. like, no, no, no. I liked kind of, you know, knowing that you didn't feel good about yourself because then I could boss yeah. you around or whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, circling back to the comment you made about how you perceive a moment. I love to tell this story because it's so um, illustrative of that. And that is um, when, uh, right after the Bellagio opened, I went with a girlfriend there. We wanted to see the fountains because that was like the, the rage at the time. And so we arranged to have dinner at this restaurant called Olives. And it was on the patio outside overlooking the fountains. And we had just finished dinner and they had uh, umbrellas over the tables. And my friend was still seated, but I stood up to leave the table. And at the exact moment, a gust of wind comes and it captures one of the fountains and it comes over me like a tidal wave. (laughs) So I am covered from head to toe in water. And I had spent, you know, a whole bunch of time getting ready. Um, Big girls night out. We wanted to look good. And in that moment, my friend looks at me and I look at her and I could see fear in her face of, you know, is our night ruined? And I understood in that moment, in that split second, I had a decision to make about how I was going to view what just had happened to me. It could be disaster or as I did respond to it, I said, what are the odds of getting hit by a fountain? I said, I've been blessed by the holy water. We're going to wait tonight rushed upstairs, quickly blew dry my hair, changed my clothes. We were out the door and it turned out to be one of the best nights we've ever had in Vegas. But it was that split second decision of how I was going to view something that happened to me that determined the outcome of that evening. And it's like that throughout life, just like you were saying in traffic, how am I going to view this event? Is this an opportunity or is this, you know, everything's gone to hell. And I think with COVID, You see people's, I mean, my response was, this is a generational opportunity. It's something we haven't seen in our lifetime. This is that time, like like during the Great Depression, when half the Fortune 500 companies were founded. This is one of those moments. And that's how I saw it. So it was a very different perspective than a lot of other people saw it. Yeah, it's the power of perspective, and it's so true. In these times of COVID, I, you know, you see really one of two responses. There's that one person kicking and screaming, and this is the worst thing ever, and it's horrible. And I'm not minimizing it at all. First of all, I've had it twice. I've lost loved ones. I get it. Then there were those other people saying, you know what? I really can clean out my closets. I can, you know, see more people on Zoom and FaceTime and really make the most out of this experience in that way. Yes. And it really is what we what we do with it. Same experience, 
different, you know, different responses. So I, I want to bring up something also, and I know this is something you're familiar with, and, and there are so many, unfortunately, um, men and women, uh, but mostly women that I see who've experienced sexual betrayal, uh, sexual assault, and the meaning they make from that can make or break them. So can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so when I was in college, I, um, I was raped. And in my experience, um, I, I was in a sorority. I had gone over to a fraternity house um, to help with, we were doing homecoming together. I was there to help with building a lawn display. Um, it was the first time I'd ever met this guy. Um, so it was, I mean, yes, I just met him, but it was, um, I, it, it, he was preying on me. I mean, it wasn't a situation where we were on a date or anything like that. And it was horrible. I mean, it lasted for hours. It was truly horrific. Um, I, after it happened, I went to one of my sorority sisters and said, you know, what do I do about this? And she said, don't you say anything. The last girl the year before who had said something about being raped had been kicked out of the sorority house. They had labeled her a slut. Yeah, this was back in the eighties. This is, you know, it was a very different time. And so I didn't say a word. And so um, then when I finally got home and I told my mother, my mother said, her response still shocks me. She got angry with me. Her face turned beet red. And she said, I am so disappointed in you. Oh, we had hoped that you would be a virgin until you were married. Uh, you must never speak of this and you must never tell your father. So I didn't speak about it. And I kept it bottled up, which is the worst thing possible when you have a trauma. And it wasn't until six years later that I wrote, it was the first time I wrote anything. I wrote a story about being raped and that began the healing process for me. But, um, I mean, I, I went through, um, one of the things that I, as you know, I wrote a book and part, that's actually the first chapter in the book. And I talk about my entire journey going through it. I think one of the th important things I do with the readers, I hold their hand and, and talk about, I'm very, I have to say I'm a bit graphic because I want people to understand the pain that occurred. I think that right now there's a lot of talk about sexual assault and in that way it kind of gets minimized. I want people to not just be, oh, it's another sexual assault. I want them to understand the real pain I experienced and not just physical pain, but the psychological pain and how it lasted and how it manifested itself. But then also I take them on the journey of how I healed. And so I talk about, you know, um, going to therapy and, you know, I even go through and I talk about the different books that I read. And it's funny. One of the first things that happened for me is I was watching Oprah Winfrey and uh, Gavin DeBecker came on and he had written this book called The Gift of Fear. It's one of my favorite all-time books, and I encourage your listeners and viewers to get a copy of it. I've recommended it probably a thousand times. <laughs> I've read it at least five times. Um, as far as actionable advice, he literally gives the clues of what behaviors you should look out for in someone else that could be a warning sign for an impending sexual assault. Wow. It's, and what I love about the book is he actually puts labels on the behavior. So you, when you, and I, I keep rereading it because there's sometimes I'll see that behavior in someone. I'm like, wait a second. And I go back to the book and it's a, 
it helps you understand when someone is doing something like they're pretending to help you because they want to get in the door. Maybe you're dropping groceries and they insist, they insist on helping you so they can get in the door. And he labels that behavior. And of course I can't remember the exact labels, but um, so then when these things happen, you go, okay, I recognize this. This is a red flag for me. So the other part of his book that was so healing to me, other than he actually talks about a sexual assault in the book and it goes through all of this, is that he was a product of a horrible childhood. He, um, his, his mother like tried to kill his father. He was beaten. Mm. I mean, just horrible violence. Um, but what he took from that, as opposed to, you know, ending up in prison himself was he became an advisor to VIPs, presidents, celebrities on security. He realized that he had the keys to identifying violence and he recognized that there are regular signs before, before violence comes. And what I took away from that book is that he took something that was so horrible that was done to him in his childhood and used it to propel him through life. And as I was you know, doing my healing, I stumbled upon Augustine Burroughs' book, This Is Now. People know him from Running With Scissors and um, think of him as being sort of humorous. But the fact of the matter is, is he was, you know, horribly victimized as a child and he took what happened to him. And while he acknowledges the horror of it and says, look, I'm not minimizing that. But what I am saying is you can take what was done to you and by examining it and looking at it, you can own it and claim it and realize it is part of the fabric of who you are and then use it to make something beautiful out of it. And so it's interesting that he says that and then Gavin DeBecker demonstrates it. And so I realized suddenly that I needed to take what had happened to me and not push it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen, but instead to examine it and find out the good that came from it and then own it and claim it and use it to propel me through life. And I take the reader on the journey doing that. And that's when you're really taking your biggest crisis and turning it into your greatest gift. I mean, I, I feel like we have an obligation to do that. If we've learned something profound from our pain and yes. we're keeping it to ourselves, that's so selfish. I agree. Right? It's like, get out of the way, whatever we have to say to ourselves and convince ourselves of, uh, because that lesson can, can really help someone else who's, you know, we've, we've been on that journey and someone else just stepped on that path. I mean, if we can help that person, I, I don't know, I feel like that's why we're here. And that's why, you know, that's, that's our obligation. So I'm, you know, it's, it's powerful that you, that you chose to do that. And I, I really feel like whatever someone's crisis is, a health issue, financial crisis, uh, physical challenge, whatever, we owe it to ourselves and the world, you know, to do something really powerful with something really painful. So I agree. Great job on that. Great job. Thank you. As we wrap up, what do you want to make sure everybody knows? Well, I think that probably um, the, the greatest piece of advice I can give somebody, and it sounds like we were absolutely simpatico on this, is that with adversity comes opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I also like to say mindset is a muscle. So when we practice that outlook of looking for the opportunity in the adversity, the more we do that, the more we more quickly we recognize it. And then I guess the other thing I'd like to share is just that, you know, it, actually in line with what you just said, 
I wrote a book over COVID because I felt absolutely compelled to share all of these things, the things that had happened to me and my journey through them and how it actually changed my response to COVID because I have emotional resilience because of all the different things I've experienced. And so um, my book is called Blooming. It's called Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. And as I like to point out, that word is quite intentional because shit is quite literally fertilizer. And it's in the messes, the failures, the difficulties of life that we find what we need to bloom into greatness. Beautiful. And where do we go to learn more about you and the great work you do? So my website is carrington-smith.com. And of course, on all that social, I'm at Carrington ATX for Austin, Texas. And then, um, of course, you can find my book on Amazon and it's also available on Audible. Great. Carrington, I want to thank you so much. I know there are so many people who have been through challenging time. That's why they listen to this podcast. That's why they watch this podcast. They've been through something they're doing, you know, they're doing the work to move through it. I, as I say, every single episode, this is the hardest and the most transformative work you'll ever do. Wherever that betrayal originated, you can heal from all of it. And here's another wonderful example of someone who did just that. So thank you so much, Carrington. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. I swear, I feel like there should be a test to take to see if you're allowed to be a parent. So many of the things we experience in childhood cause so much pain, but it is those experiences that can also serve as a launch pad to transformation. Stay in touch with Carrington by grabbing a copy of her book, Blooming, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. With adversity comes opportunity and mindset is a must. Ain't that the truth? So how do you use adversity as an opportunity? Well, sometimes you need a little bit of support and that's where we got you. Check out the PBT Institute where we help you predictably and effectively move through the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough. There's nothing like it that exists anywhere else. See for yourself by going to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join. Can't wait to be with you next time and here's to your breakthrough.